September 4th is 2011. Most of the time when you go to a, a, a community where people are in love with the Lord, uh, sermons are topical. And very often they come by a calendar. So what I mean by that is not necessarily that there's a lectionary, but that if Labor Day is uh, the next day, then the message is supposed to be on work, right? And uh, if, if the uh, next day is 4th of July, then somehow or another Jesus was supposed to be all about 4th of July. As Americans, we try to view all of the Word in the light of our own situation. And in reality, this is the wrong lens. So today we will not be speaking about Labor Day. Let's be honest. All Labor Day means to you is barbecue and a little rest, right? Not incredibly spiritual uh, enterprise. Uh, if, if you want a Labor Day verse, then we'll tell you in John 4, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and complete the work. <laughs> there you go. So there is no Labor Day in the kingdom. Uh, I wanted to show you a few things. Go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy. Our message today is called, you're going to like this, it's easy. Very, very short, won't wear out your hand. Uh, it's kind of to the point. Now, don't be blown away with the depth of the title here. Do right. Okay? <laughs> like the old song, do right, oh, do right. Are you all in Deuteronomy 14? Yeah. I'm not. Will you wait for me to get there? <laughs> now, i, I got to tell you up front, I'm one of those temperamental preachers. It hurts my feelings if you don't talk to me. Uh, it is okay even for uh, the most stiff Indo-European Caucasian to agree out loud in church. And the rest of you that are not bound by such narrow constraints, please help the people on your left and right. Church is supposed to be a place that is expressive. It's supposed to be amen. It's supposed to be a place where you come and contribute uh, something to the brothers that are around you. And one thing you could contribute is a little zeal. I preached all over the world, but my least favorite place was Germany because uh, this was the people excited. <laughs> this was the people sad. It's like a thermometer that doesn't work. Uh, are you in Deuteronomy 14? Yeah. Many times when people talk about the subject of giving, when they talk about charity, when they talk about anything, they speak about one place, right? They, it, it is all about how to get dollars out of your hands and into a church plate. Well, God bless it. I, I'm thrilled to death for all the good work that goes on. There will be no pay plate passed in this service or any other if I have a, a choice about it. In our congregation, we put a box in the back because we believe giving should be voluntary, not under compulsion. Having said that, in Deuteronomy 14, uh, starting in verse 28, and there were many times to give in ancient Israel, but I wanted to start in verse 28. At the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. One of the things that is necessary to point out in the Word as we move forward is that wherever people of God congregated and God established for them a local fellowship of believers as typified by Israel, it was necessary to support that work. And the work of that ministry, did you hear what it was? Taking care of fatherless, widows, orphans, aliens. 
This is the work of Jesus. It's the work of God's people. The work of God is not a building project to impress your friends. The work of God is not a new gymnasium for the sake of having a gymnasium or a donuts ministry so that you have the very best Starbucks around in your own church. All of those things may be good and well in and of themselves, and I'm not against any of them. I'm telling you that is not the primary purpose for the people of God on the planet. All Jewish people grow up with a concept, even if they're secularist. And that concept is about repairing the world. Tukun ha-olam in Hebrew. It means we all have a part to play to repair the world. So our uh, churches, if you like that word, our communities of believers, whatever, they better be about repairing the world and not serving self, or they are not of God. But I'd like to talk to you in the next chapter for a moment about a personal responsibility, and then we'll move forward. The first was, of course, we all acknowledge if we're going to gather here, there have to be things that are collected. There's no way around that. Uh, nothing comes free. Having said that, that is not the emphasis of giving in the Word. Not at all. Giving to an organization has never been the emphasis in the Word. Listen to the emphasis in the Word. Start with me in the 15th chapter. Verse 7. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards the poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor the wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all the work, in all your work, and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. Why in your land? Because it was your responsibility. Who is my neighbor? It is whoever you run into. It is whoever is next to you. There is no part of Judaism or completed Judaism, the Messianic faith that we have now termed Christianity. There is no part of it that is self-centered. There is no part of it that says, I want what is best for me now. There is no part of it that is a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not of God. In fact, the people of God throughout the centuries have been willing to give their life. They have been willing to give their resources. They have been willing to give all that they have because that was the example that was set for us. That's the example. Not, oh, well, if this brother has a Mercedes, you can pray and you can get a Mercedes. What would that be for, friends? If you have a Mercedes, I'm not picking on you. I, I have the, the cowboy version of a Mercedes. I have a King Ranch truck. This was not because I tithe, not because I give, not because of any other thing. You know why I have a King Ranch truck? Because we need it for the work of the Lord. That's why. This was not a reward for my righteousness. 
In, in reality, the biggest sin that's ever been in my life has been the hours I've spent working on that truck. <laughs> it's not an instrument of righteousness. It is just a tool, right? Yes. Y'all with me? Amen. Amen. So let's do this then. I want to show you a couple pictures. I got in last night. And, uh, I dropped Brother Charlie off at 2.30. I have no idea what time the brothers got back to Katie and all. But five men from this fellowship went to some places that we normally go to. We try every 60 days to go to Mexico. We don't do that because we're trying to atone for some sin. We don't do that because we're trying to raise money. In fact, I, we, I think we have a total of seven usable pictures this morning. And we're not going to take up an offering for it. We do it because it's what Jesus would do. We do it because Matthew and I were vacationing in Padre Island one year, and we thought that we needed to rest, right? And there's nothing wrong with rest, friends. God himself rested one day out of every seven. But we thought we needed to do that. And I learned later that the poorest people in North America were 40 minutes away from us, and I didn't know it. So while I was resting, people were starving. If that doesn't bother you... We need to knock the calluses off of our heart. Amen. It bothered me. So in any case, I want to show you something. This is the main drag in an invasion colonia. This uh, invasion colonia is an area of land that was once a garbage dump. The garbage dump was uh, then abandoned. And where the dump trucks used to drive to go dump off stuff has become roads. And because it was a dump that is now closed, people squatted on that land. When they squatted, they built whatever they could build there. Most of these structures are based on fence slats. Most of them are based, uh, all of them have dirt floors unless we built it there. Uh, or one of our, our sister or brother churches built it there. Uh, and it is hard to pick up from this picture. But it's a limestone field. It feels like the, the very sun is reflecting off of the ground in your face. When you see people there, they look just like all of us. Some darker, some lighter. All people. And the Lord doesn't love them any less because they were born somewhere else. And most Americans go there and they begin to pity those people until you pray with them. And then you realize you're the one that should be pitied. Because they are living out their faith. Jesus said the poor are rich in... The poor are rich in... What, what, we're going the wrong way with this. The poor are rich in... Hey, hey, you got it right. I was just trying to get more of you to speak. This is not sage on a stage. I'm not supposed to be here to lecture you. We are here to have a family conversation. Right? I know some of you talk back in your family conversations. I know that. The poor are rich in faith. Then why do we fight so hard to keep from being poor? Maybe we are not rich in faith. Maybe we don't want to know what it is to have to trust the Lord. Maybe we have insulated ourselves from everything that would cause us to have to show real faith. Are these kids any less pretty than yours? Do you think they get any less hungry than yours? Do you think that they need medicine any less than yours? No. But when they lack something, God provides it for them. Sometimes he provides it on the wings of ravens. That's you coming in in a King Ranch truck bringing something. Other times he provides it raining down from heaven just like he did for Israel through miraculous ways. 
But when they need something, they have learned that the Lord meets their needs. Do you see right behind the kid is a white barrel with the kid's arm on it? Anybody want to guess what that is? Bathtub. Not bathtub, it's definitely water. Baptism. It's the water that they drink, that they bathe in, that they wash their feet with. That's a close-up of the tub. I don't know if That says liquid copper sulfate. Then at the bottom is a biohazard chart. It lists a diamond. Some from the industry are familiar with that. It's a level three biohazard. The container that they're drinking water, washing water, foot water is in. Says clearly on it in English, hazardous to human life and domesticated animals. Now, obviously, there's not copper sulfate in that all of the time, but it was once used for that. Is this what you want to drink out of? No. no. Uh, don't raise your hands. How many of you have had a bottle of water from this ministry this morning? Without even a, don't raise your hands. Without even a thought to how it got here or how much it costs. It's not precious to us, is it? It's not because there's an unlimited supply to them. I mean, it is almost as if they just come right out of the faucet in neatly packaged Dasani bottles. <laughs> Every time we close a service, I walk around and pick up bottles. It's become a habit for me. Most of the time, I pick up 15 to 20 half-used bottles. Do you know that most of the world does not have clean drinking water? By most, I'm speaking of upwards of 90%. See, the things that we take for granted every day, the people of God cannot take for granted in other places. This is not to make you feel bad, church. It's to make you aware of how self-centered our lives are, and that's the opposite of the gospel. If we had a gathering that was impromptu, a gathering that you did not know about in advance, a gathering that, oh, I don't know, somebody say put a flyer on your door, right? Because I know you all read the flyers that are on your door. You do with those just what you do with the telemarketing phone call, don't you? And all of the, that the flyer said was, we will have a festival with Jesus with a treat from the Lord. If that's what the flyer said, how many homes would we have to go to in town west with that flyer before you had 200 people show up with three hours notice? probably couldn't get 200 people to show up if you went to every home in town next time. Because who is interested in another festival with the Lord and a treat from Jesus? In fact, to get a crowd of 200 people out of town west or any other neighborhood right around here, you'd probably have to give away iPods, wouldn't you? 200 people gathered in three hours because we wanted to pray for them and there was the chance that they would receive rice, sugar, flowers, beans, uh, oil, salt. But they didn't know that. They just knew it would be a treat from the Lord. Now, let me tell you, friends. If you stood outside in the sun for about two hours because you were waiting for something good from the Lord, and I handed you a baggie of flour, what would you think? Because if they drop that baggie of flour and it disperses in the dust, they'll scrape up the dust 
and take the dust down the flower home that's so precious to them. What makes us so entitled? What makes us so privileged that we are this blessed? And most of the time, what we're praying for, learning about, and listening to sermons about is how to be more blessed. At what point do we have a responsibility to go to our brothers who are in need? Isn't that a fair question? Yes. yes. Boy, it's as quiet in here as when I preach on holiness with a computer. <laughs> or a television set. How about that? See, the Christian life, the godly life, the life that is based on the Messiah's life, was about feeding others. And how many times did Jesus say, I'm sorry, I don't have enough? How about that? Friends, we didn't have enough. What was in, I, I just not to shame anybody, I'm so proud of this church, I don't know what to do. Of the families that regularly attend this church, we have somewhere around 90% that's financially so into the ministry. And the other 10%, you'll get saved eventually. So, this is not to, to uh, make anybody feel bad about giving. What was in our missions jar, right? It's $240 or $50. I'm thrilled to death for that. That is a blessing. That is a lot of money. The problem is there were that many people. If you've got something for the next two weeks, right? What could you go buy for a buck that would feed you for two weeks? Hmm? And I know it's not our responsibility to feed every person for every week, but I, I tell you, I bet we could do better than we did. Good news is we don't have a committee to answer to. We don't have deacons that tell us what to do. So I called Matthew and called Jennifer. They talked about it. Hopefully Cassidy got in on that discussion. She's as smart as anybody else in the group. And the question was not how much was given. The question was how much is in the account. And we spent every dollar that was in the church account that would allow us to pay rent. <laughs> and it wasn't enough. So I looked at the brothers who came. Brothers who have needs in their own lives. Some of them need jobs. Some of them need all kinds of things. And they came up with another 400 bucks by themselves. People without work. It's amazing what you can get motivated to do when you see the need. <coughs> and that day we fed about 150 people. That is beautiful, isn't it? We didn't just feed them for the day. We gave them enough groceries for about a week and a half. That's a good part of the story. The bad part of the story is 50 people went home with nothing. Nothing. I bet after this we're going to go see more food sitting in the back of our, our building than those people see in a month. What makes us so entitled? Don't feel bad about eating. I'm going to go eat all I can eat. And if you made something good, I'm going to eat a bunch of it. Okay. We don't we rarely ever preach on gluttony in this church, okay? Let's just get clear. But at some point, when you're enjoying something delectable, like Tres Leches. When you when you bite into a cake that is called decadent chocolate. At some point, we probably need to ask, 
what is our responsibility to give something back for all God has given us? Yeah. It's a funny thing. You go to a checkout line. If there was an earthquake in Haiti, uh, people will give it as long as it's a dollar or two tacked on to what they were already spending. They say Americans are the most generous people on the planet. I don't believe that at all. You know why? We give out of our plenty. You know what generosity is? When you give out of your great need. We don't even know what that is, friends. Don't even know what that is. And then we wonder, why are there miracles there and not here? Well, because there's faith there. And I'll let you figure out the rest of that. Turn with me to Isaiah 1. Matthew, would, oh, y'all turn to Isaiah 1. Let me show you a couple more pictures. These are people just gathering. This thing in the back here is not somebody's hunting camp. There. That's a family. Four or five people live in that. And that's nice. By the standard, they're believers and their lives are growing, so their house is nicer than some of the others. Uh, these people, after the meeting has closed, would not leave. You see them with their hands up? They're asking for prayer. A few of them are asking for sodas, too, if we're perfectly honest. We ran out of sodas, did not run out of prayer. This little woman is in love with the Lord. She's a single mom with two children. She didn't ask for money, and she didn't ask for food. In fact, she skipped the food line to come straight to the prayer line. You know what she wanted? Healing, so that she would be able to take care of her two children. That's all the pictures that I brought for you today. Not because there are not thousands more, but let's just be honest. Wouldn't one be enough? Yes. How many times do we need to see something before it moves your heart? <laughs> Are you like me? When you're watching TV, right? And I'm sure it's, it's you know, nothing but crusade classics or something. <laughs> it's a funny word, isn't it? Crusade. Can you really go get people saved at the point of a sword? Probably not. But that pretty well expresses the church's mentality. Huh? When you're watching TV and you come across the hungry children... Gnats and flies circulating and swollen bellies full of worms. What do you do? Well, let's not ask you what you do. Let me tell you what I did. I hit next. Because I'd rather see anything else. We have filled our lives with so many other things. We've hit next so many times that we've got used to pictures like that. As long as we don't have to be impacted by it. So this church is going to be on a mission. I'm going to try to convince every single one of you to do something that the Western media says you can't do. <laughs> to go to Mexico where it is dangerous. I want to tell you what's dangerous, friends, if we're just honest. Dangerous is not putting your life at risk in Mexico. It is putting your life on hold in the United States. Amen. That's dangerous. Amen. You're in no danger when you're in the will of God. You're in every... You know what is more dangerous to you than a drug lord with a, a, a pistola? A comfortable seat in church. That's what's where you a heated baptismal. Those things are more dangerous to you than the adversity you were meant to face. And when we have brothers and sisters that come from other countries, they usually smile and shake their head because they know what it is to be in need and have God meet those needs. The most spoiled people on the planet are fat lazy American Christians. And I meant that spiritually fat. It was not the hip-hop fat with the pH. But we don't have to be that way. Are y'all in Isaiah 1? Yes. Yep. 
In Isaiah 1, where I'm not, I better get there if I'm going to preach to you out of it. Hey, I made a successful trip to Mexico and back without having my Bible stolen. I took that as a small accomplishment. In the first chapter and the second verse, I'd like to hear you hear how Isaiah addresses the state of a nation. This is 740 years before Jesus. It is well into the time period where Israel has had prophets, kings, uh, great deliverances and judges prior to that that taught them about the faith. By this time, they have uh, had for 600 years the, five, the first five books that teach the faith of God. The Torah of God teaches not legalism, it teaches relationship with God. And listen to the state of the nation. This is the second verse. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand the people who were called by God's name, the people who wore the title, did not do what the Master told them to do. Do you think in, in, in Isaiah's day there were books that were floating around asking the question, can he be your Savior without being your Lord? Do you think during Isaiah's day the major debate was where are the limits of grace? The people had the same problem then as we have now. They were called children of God. They bore His name. They were in the world and not supposed to be of the world, and yet they did not do what God said. The Word of God has always been a double-edged sword, the same one Jesus pulls out of His mouth in the book of Revelation. It is there to defend you against the enemy, and it is also there to cut right to your heart when you're disobedient. The Word... Deuteronomy 30 tells us is both life and death. It is life when we obey it. It is death when we do not. Isaiah told the people on God's behalf, you look like a man, but you're not a man. As a Saturday Night Live joke that one person got, <laughs> sorry. You look the part but you're not actually doing it. You're like an animal that doesn't know who you belong to. Skip down with me. Get to uh, verse 10. We see that their religious service was missing God's heart and God called it a burden. Many times when this is preached, it's preached as bad Israel and good church. I want to tell you Israel never had a problem that is not magnified many times over in the Gentile church. Israel never committed a sin that we have not perfected. What may have been in the seed of their hearts as the people of God has found complete fruition and dominance in our culture. We have invented new ways to sin. In Isaiah's day, you could not bring hell's box office right into your home. In Isaiah's day, you could not watch people all over the world do abhorrent things on something that we call a window. We have invented new ways to sin. 
and very rarely invented new ways to do God's work. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 10. You rulers of Sodom, listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What a slap in the face. God's holy people are being compared to towns that were judged for their wickedness. I don't know what people group. I don't know what city you could typify as this. But if there was ever a place that was the antithesis of what you want to be, to a Jew it would be Sodom and Gomorrah. This is like spitting in their face. Basically God is saying you look exactly like the enemy. Of course if he were speaking to the American church he would just say you look exactly like your neighbor or the world. Friends, we cannot love the world and walk with God. We can't. We cannot be involved in everything that the world is involved in and put a Christian label on it. I think those of you that know me know I am not socially prudish, not in any way. But I am interested in holiness. The church does good with stamping out things like dress, music, beverages. In fact, they go so far sometimes that some people would think our communion, which is uses biblical beverages, is wrong. This is because we're of a corrupted conscience. We call what is good evil and what is evil good. We look at all of the exterior and we ignore things like greed in the heart, <laughs> lust and selfishness. Isaiah's message to this people would have been twice as harsh to this people. The other thing that we do in our churches, and I'm proud of you, I'm one of you, I'm no different than you. So we exclude ourselves from these difficult messages by assuming that we must be talking about someone else. Whatever church is down the road that does not wear your label, let me assure you, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling because you have been given so much. And to him who's been given much, much is required. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, <laughs> Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. How could we call something evil that looks so very much like what God had asked them to do? Who told them to sacrifice animals for sin? You can answer. The Lord. There was one person that did answer to that. Have, have the rest of you decided already you're not going to participate in this message? <laughs> the Mosaic Law was teaching the heart of God, the character of God. 
but they had taken parts of the law that were intended to teach you about God's compassion, God's mercy, and they had simply become mundane religious exercise that was meaningless. But you are so very different, aren't you? You have never sat in a church service and just thought, how much longer is this guy going to talk? You have never been in a worship service and gone, are we really going to do that song a fifth time? You've never been sitting here, but your mind was somewhere else, have you? But what do we do? We sing songs like, we bring the sacrifice of grace. Yeah? We enter your courts with thanksgiving. Really? Or is it just another religious exercise? God calls those things burdensome, wearisome. He said, you can stretch out your hands all day and I won't listen to you. These are the next few verses of Isaiah. You know why? You can be doing the things that look right to everyone around you. Maybe even things that God has told people at one time to do. But be so far from the heart of God. One time in Isaiah 29, he said, These people draw near to me with their lips, but in their hearts they are far from me. How many times have you seen people pull out of church parking lots and be angry with each other turning out onto the road? You talk to any waitstaff anywhere, the shift that they hate to work is the Sunday shift at 1 o'clock. Religious exercise. We say, oh Jesus, we love you, but then we do not do what Jesus would do. Your waiter brings your steak and he forgot to put butter on it. And you love him and have a Christ-like attitude? Oh, you feel perfectly justified in shorting his tip. This is not God, friends. This is a small area, but they reveal our hearts. How can we say we have a heart for the world, we have a heart for the nations, and we spend more money on television programs and food for ourselves as entertainment, not necessity, <laughs> than most countries get to spend on their necessity? Do you know Americans spend more on ice cream than the gross domestic product of many nations? Think about that. If you have one car, one, you're in the top 10% in the world. If you have two cars, you're in the top 3% in the entire world. But we're convinced we don't have enough. Do you think that this could be a serious problem? Yes. Listen to what Isaiah told the nation who was about to go into judgment. They were going into captivity. Is there anybody here that thinks our nation's headed the right direction? No. We won't throw a hymnal at you. I don't even have hymnals. Is there anybody so bold as to say, I feel like we're in the spiritual mainstream of what God is doing as a country. We're hitting the mark. Yeah, I see a lot of heads turning saying no. You can blame it on a president if you want to. I'm going to blame it on a pulpit. I think our nation has lost touch with God's heart. This was the situation in Isaiah's day. The men who ought to know better were just going through the motions. Just having one more sacrifice, one more service. And listen to what he said on God's behalf. 
or what he wrote on God's behalf. Starting in verse 16. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Sometimes, friends, we need to just stop and say, I'm guilty. You know, it's a funny thing. Pilate washed his hands to show he was innocent of Jesus. In the Jewish mindset, to wash your hands shows that you were dirty. You were guilty. Yeah. How the world has erred and not having any idea about the culture that God Himself designed. Washing the hands is the place to start. It is an admission. I am dirty. These hands God gave me to do His work have been doing my work and not His. The place for a nation headed the wrong direction to start with is an acknowledgement. I haven't been doing God's work even if I've been calling it God's work. The most sickening thing that I see in Mexico are missionaries who live in the United States who go there a couple times a year and take pictures so they can make money off of those people's great need. But you know what? The people in Mexico are happy for it because at least those people are letting some things trickle down. This is not God. I said, well, Eric, why are you talking so much about Mexico? Hey, we support people in Romania, Germany, Brazil, India. It's not because we're rich, people. Look around you. Where would it come from? It's because we're rich when compared with the needs of those people. Amen. It's because if we say no, who will say yes? It's because when somebody is declared a land is God forsaken, it's not possible. God cares. It's just church forsaken. So, well, how'd you pick those nations? Well, I met those people. They became my neighbors. If I met somebody in Uganda, then it'd be Uganda. So we can't do it for everybody. You can do it for whoever he brings to you because he will help you do what he's called you to do. Yes. Will it hurt? Yes. Yeah. Will it stretch you? Yes. About like a crucifixion, if you're honest. How many of us think those little crosses around our necks are jewelry, though? Instead of a testament to what your pledge is every day, in every situation, I will live like Jesus, which means dying to my desire and lifting up his. Not occasionally, once a year, in a special offering. Wash your hands and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. We cannot say I'm sorry and continue to do what we've always done and thank God forgives us. Watch this, Gabe, stand up. All right, I'm going to come from way over here, Gabe, way down here, and I'm going to slap you as hard as I can on the way up. I hit you, would that hurt? It's old and I can't get out of a wet paper bag by myself. But might that hurt? I'm sorry. Bam! I'm sorry. How long before he's not going to believe me anymore? How long can we spit in the face of God? How long can we ignore everything that he has told us to do? And then feel good about ourselves because we heard a sermon that made a fancy wordplay and said the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. Well, good. You're better for knowing that or for doing something about it. 
I want with all of my heart to move in a direction that we know God can bless. Whether you can go to a foreign mission field or not, it's not really the issue. The direction that God can bless is the one that stops being self-centered and starts being outward-focused, Christ-centered. The way you know if He's your Lord versus you being your Lord, is how many things do you do that are contrary to your nature because they fall within His nature? Amen. Look back at your last week of your life. How many things can you honestly say were contrary to your nature and well within His nature? Now we're getting an idea for lordship. We're getting an idea for sanctification. Did you think that you were sanctified because you don't drink, smoke, or run with girls that do? I'll take the man who drinks and smokes. I'll take the man that is 600 pounds and can't breathe because he's eating himself to death if he will do the one thing God has told him to do. Amen. Over a hundred that abstain from everything but will not do the one thing God has said to do. Did David commit adultery? Yes. Did David kill men? Yes. Did he kill some just to cover his sin? Yes. How is he a man after God's own heart? He did what he because he did what God told him to do. This is not an excuse for the wicked things he did. No. I'm telling you, at least he could say he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. There'll be a lot he'll be accountable for, but you know what he won't be accountable for? The work he refused to do. Amen. I don't want to be accountable for work I refused to do. I read the separation of the sheep and goats and it terrified me. If you haven't read it, it's in Matthew 25. The difference between a sheep and a goat was not a fancy sermon. It was not how they behaved. It was the sheep tried to do God's will. They went and visited people in prison. They clothed people who were naked. They fed people who were hungry. The goats failed to even try. They said, when? We didn't see you in any of those situations. Now you tell me. If you can't think honestly about yourself, think about the people that you know and then ask yourself why you hang out with them if you're so different. Hmm? We have such a hard time with sober judgment. Well, other people somewhere else in some mythical place, they're like that, but not us. Why do you hang out with them then? How'd you know about them? Maybe they hang out with you because you're just like them. How do we sit in church year after year, sermon after sermon, and walk out the same way we walked in? If you're going to take your evil deeds out of his sight, he says, stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. This sounds like we're talking to a child, doesn't it? Let, let's just be honest, all right? Uh, stereotypes are not a great thing, especially if you use them to categorize whole groups of people for the purpose of demeaning them. But all stereotypes have some measure of truth. Can you, can you say that that's true? Yes. How much measure greatly are you? Jews are known as being stupid people? No, not at all. What are Jews known for being? Smart. Gifted. Yeah? Yeah. So why would God talk to them in such basic terms? Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Because despite all of the intelligence, despite all of the special revelation, they weren't doing it. We can hold degrees. We can hang them on our walls. How about this one? Master. 
of divinity. <laughs> but if we are not doing what is right, what is that worth? He's going to tell us exactly how to do what is right, right here. Isn't that great about Isaiah? Yes. Yeah. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Number one, <laughs> seek justice. Now, you may have cried when the Casey Anthony verdict came out. Maybe way back in the day, you wondered about the justice of O.J. Simpson. Right? None of y'all saw those crimes? Yeah. Yeah. But how much have you cared when you found out someone next to you was experiencing something they didn't deserve? Why do we connect to people we've never met through a little box hanging on a wall, but we do not connect to the person sitting in the emergency room? We do not connect to the neighbor. We're like, oh. I hate to borrow a phrase from the youth, but it sucks to be you. <laughs> That's about the level of empathy that we have. We'll pity someone. Justice is not pity, friends. Pity gets you nowhere. Justice is working to right a wrong. Amen. It's working to correct it. What should the church be doing? Working to right wrongs. Where are the social issues of, of the day that the church has taken on? The church today is obsessed with how to get more rich. That's what the church is. So that's a great social concern of the church. The richest nation on the earth wants to figure out how to get more rich because that's the way to great faith, huh? No. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. You have to be willing to know somebody to encourage them. How are you going to encourage somebody you never met? We have a great oppressed meter. Oppressed is, ooh, I don't want to hang out with you. Anything that begins to look oppressed, we find a new clip to hang out in. What is oppression, friends? Anybody who is bearing the weight of the world. Anybody who is beat down by life. Church looks and goes, oh, that guy's filthy. He's probably drunk or high right now. Well, great. Go encourage him. You found somebody who's oppressed. The best the church does in these situations is go yell at him. He's going to hell. You think he doesn't know that? Why do you think he's broken out? Where is the kind of faith that God himself established found? Where is it? If we're not seeking justice, if we're not encouraging the oppressed, where is it? Well, it's in our doctrinal statements, but it's not in our lives. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Defend the cause of the father. How many young men are in jail right now who didn't have a daddy? Can we all agree a lot? Yes. Anybody want to dispute that figure? No. So you all agree that there are men in jail today because they didn't have a daddy. Fatherless. How many do you know personally? How do we defend the cause of the fatherless if we don't associate with them? Well, those people. What do you mean, those people? We found out those people are anybody who's not you. Well, if you only hang out with people that are just like you, then why did God equip you? To make more just like you? How was that working for the American church? 
Do you want missionaries that live just like you do? No, you want your missionaries to be holy, to be spiritually lean. You want your missionaries to learn to take a dollar and do thousands of dollars worth of work with it. You want your missionaries to be something other than you. You want your pastor to be just like you. No, we want to lift up our pastors. We want movies to our pastors with the face of angels and the voices of gods. Do you really think that there's a different standard for you than a pastor? We're all supposed to be doing the same things and have different functions within this body. He said, plead the cause of the widow. Plead it. Who would you be pleading it before? Well, to start with God. Secondly, with whoever you have to, to get her justice. What do we do? We ship them off to nursing homes, left and right. We think we've done something good for God because we go visit once a year. If you're related, maybe once a month. Born in their home, but they die in a nursing home. Saints, we need to wake up. This is not Christianity. Are you not filled with a sense that something's not quite right? Yes. When you pray and you read the Word and you see the first ten chapters of Acts and you go, my God, Peter's shadow healed people. Don't you sometimes go, don't this, ah, where is, where is it? It's lacking right here. Because I can assure you, it is going on around the globe. When I came back from India, I had never seen the kind of miracles I saw there on the first trip. Tuberculosis, gone. People without limbs, healed. It's going on somewhere, but it's going on where the people's hearts are fully committed to Him. We've crossed the 12 o'clock mark in the church service. This is the part where as an American Christian, you are obligated to shut down. Your butt is beginning to rebel against the rest of your body. <laughs> the pain in your rear is beginning to cause the ear gate to shut. They tell you as a pastor, never, never speak past an hour. You lose your audience. I've been in movies with some of you guys that are two and a half hours long. How does that hold your attention? Uh -huh. <laughs> I know none of you saw Titanic. That was just a short little film, huh? <laughs> See, you are capable of speech when you want to be. <laughs> Verse 18, everybody can quote, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat from the best of the land. But what came before all of that? Stop doing what's wrong. Start doing what's right. I'm not saying you can earn salvation. I'm saying that if you believe that when you draw near to God, He draws near to you. How many of you believe that's a scripture? Amen. Drawing near to God looks like I just described. Starting to care about the people He cares about. Starting to de-emphasize yourself. Amen. Starting to be willing to be humbled that He might be exalted. This is drawing near to God and that is how you get washed white as snow. Amen. What we do is we declare a thing. We call it something. I'm a born again believer. What about your life's changed? Absolutely nothing, but I prayed the prayer. You know the sinner's prayer? Who in here knows the sinner's prayer? Let's get a, let's get a show of hands. Really? Y'all never saw a tract? 
God bless you. That's a good thing because the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. Nowhere found in the Bible. You show me an example in the Bible of a pastor going and praying for somebody and saying, now you're saved. It's not there. Preachers of righteousness declared repentance. They declared salvation. And the people knew when they had been saved because God's Spirit bared witness with their spirit. That's the point. How many of us have an inward witness that right now, right where you are at in this second, you're exactly in the place God wants you to be. Not in this building. I mean in your situation in life. Nothing needs to be tweaked. Friends, if you're going to church week after week and you're not finding areas of your life that need to be overhauled, if you're not like David saying, create in me a clean heart, not also make a clean heart, but Vara, create in me a clean heart out of nothing, then you either have not been hearing good preaching or you're like the generation of Israelites that Jesus said, I played the flute for you. And you didn't dance. You played the dirge. And you would not mourn. You're ever hearing and never understanding. Who wants to be in that crowd? Have you ever noticed that Jesus looked at the disciples sometimes and said, Are you still so dull? <laughs> If some man of God spoke to you like that, you would never talk to him again. Jesus did that kind of thing all the time. I don't know how it worked in your household, but in mine, I expect to be heard the first time I speak to my children. If I tell my, my son, my daughter, actually the daughter gets a little more grace. <laughs> Do something. It's not open for debate. We don't hold lengthy discussions to see how it made him feel that I asked him to do it. We don't hold hands and walk on the beach to console him because I asked him to do something. We don't do that. I expect it to be done when I said it, and I want to be heard the first time. Amen. Why do you call God Father, but treat him more like your little brother? Amen. See, this is a wake-up call, friends, and every time I leave the country, I get my own wake-up call. All of us that were driving around, we're looking around, and you're filled with an indescribable feeling. You realize just how self-centered and off-track our lives are. So, well, Eric, I've got a job. I've got a family. I can't be doing that stuff all the Every day you can do something for someone else. Anybody know who Anne Frank is? Okay, three or four people. That's awesome. Anne Frank was born in 1929. She died in March of 1945. When you do the math, that made her 15 years old. Her diary survived. She began writing in her diary when she was 13. It's a popular book, The Diary of Anne Frank. It was published in 1952. A little girl who's 13 is writing until she's 15 when her life was ended. Wasn't an automobile accident. It was a nation, the heart of the Reformation. Germany killed her because she was a Jew. Anne Frank said some pretty moving things. In the diary of a young girl, she said, Memories mean more to me than dresses. I want to ask.
ask you, friends, when you've got your new car, when you got a new garment, felt good for a moment, but now it's just part of the pile, isn't it? Maybe we should consider making some godly memories. Amen. Going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. That's quite a statement for a 13-year-old girl to make. By the time she was nearing execution in the Holocaust, she wrote in her diary, No one has ever become poor by giving. There is no such thing as a man who is poor because he gave too much. But you cannot say that about men who spent their whole lives trying to acquire wealth. Many of them are poor. The Bible teaches that a generous man refreshes others so he himself is refreshed. Remember, I'm not telling you these things so you'll put money in a plane. I'm not even going to pass one. I'm talking to you about a life. I read you the scripture in Deuteronomy 14 followed by the one in Deuteronomy 15 because you don't just have an obligation to support a house of worship. You have an obligation to be looking for brothers that you can help. Amen. And one should never be done at the expense of the other. God is big enough to do both. <laughs> Maybe my favorite quote from Anne Frank was this one. How wonderful it is that nobody need to wait a single moment before they start improving the world. How long are we going to wait? How much time have we already wasted? Amen. The little girl wrote things in a diary that have touched generations of people and she was no older than 15 and did not even have a full revelation of the Messiah like so many of you. So what is our excuse? How long will we value dresses over right memories? How long will we refrain from giving in order to avoid being poor? Something that cannot happen if you believe the Bible. How long will we wait before we begin repairing the world? One famous author said, everyone dreams of changing the world. No one starts with themselves. How about that? Turn with me to Matthew 6. By the way, if you have never read the book of Hosea, there, he's not a Spanish missionary, he's a Hebrew that lives around the time of Isaiah. That's why we're turning to Matthew, but I'm talking to you about Hosea. This is so that we don't have to read it. And in the six chapters, his man, you've torn us to pieces. There's no hope for us. But in two days, you'll begin to restore us, and by the third day, you'll revive us. Any scholar of the New Testament realizes third day is important. Then he moves on to say, I desire mercy and acknowledgement of God, not sacrifice. The Jewish community realized this in AD 70 when their temple was destroyed. So the tenets of Judaism have been prayer, repentance, and charity. Because they saw this as the heart of God. Prayer puts you in communication with Him. Repentance changes your direction from your ways. It stopped doing what's wrong to start doing what's right. And charity 
it is what is right. That's what it is. So these are the pillars of Judaism. And is that really so different from what the pillars of what you call Christianity should be? Probably not. Turn with me to Matthew 6. Y'all are there? Yeah, yeah. All right, wait for me to get there. Tap your finger. Look at the I'm teasing. Please don't take everything I say seriously. I'm hoping you can chew up the meat and spit out the bones. I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you. I am more guilty than any person in this room. Let's just get that right out of the way. I've been blessed with more and more times that I selfishly squander. God's grace to me has been an amazing thing I never would have saved. If it were up to me, I'd have never picked somebody like me. I often wonder what Fred and Suzanne were thinking. I don't know why they let me marry their daughter. But whatever was wasted in the past doesn't have to continue till tomorrow. We can start today. Right now. Amen. Preparing to work. When you hear this, be careful, this is Matthew 6, not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Now it's a funny thing because this comes to us in Greek. I don't know, anybody here speak a language other than English? And I'm not talking about a prayer language. John, I know he speaks Vietnamese. Brandon, some Spanish. More Spanish. Wow. Everybody else in the world speaks four languages. What's it say about us that we speak one? We're not self-centered, are we? No. When you try to go from one language to another, it can be difficult to translate things. For instance, if we're speaking in English and I say pigeon, you think of a fat bird that lives under a bridge in an overpass. If I say dove, you think of a pretty bird that flies through the countryside and symbolizes the Holy Spirit. But if we have to translate that into German, there is no difference. They're the same bird. They don't have the two varieties. They have just the word pigeon. Boy, that's different, huh? The Holy Ghost descended like a pigeon? <laughs> Doesn't quite work. But if you're German, it has to work because that's all there is. This word comes to us in Greek. And in Greek, the word is di diakos. But Jesus did not speak Greek if he was at home in prayer. <laughs> no. Because he was a Hebrew. And in Hebrew, when you want to say righteousness, you say tzitzit. It's hard to say, actually. That's how... An ignorant man from Texas tries to speak Hebrew. <laughs> if you want to speak about righteous acts, tzika. There is absolutely no difference in the Hebrew language between righteousness and charity. So when a Jew says an act of righteousness, he means an act of giving. And when he says an act of giving, it is an act of righteousness. See if that fits this context. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. How could somebody see an inward feeling? Have to be doing something outwardly. So when you give to the needy, righteous acts involved charity, period. He did not say, Cody, if you give to the needy, the Holy Word of God, is it for you? Is the Word of God for you? Then he said, when you give to the needy. And he was not talking about the weird animals that come on you can support for a dollar a day. Aren't those commercials freaky? With little dog that's, you know. 
The reality is we spend more money on dog food than many people live on in the world every day. When you give to the needy. It's assumed that if you're going to be a part of the family of God, you do the things that God does. Did He give to you when you were in need? Yes. And if we're going to walk as He walked, we have to find people who are in need and give to them. No exclusion because you're an American. Or because you don't have a MasterCard. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. How about verse 5? And when you pray. What were the tenets of Judaism again? Prayer, charity, repentance. Oh, if you go look at a website like Chabad, Chabad, C-H-A-B dot org, they'll give them to you in this order. Charity, prayer, repentance. Incidentally, in verse 2, Jesus mentions charity. In verse 5, he mentions prayer. In verse 16, he mentions repentance as fasting. When you pray, he says. Look at verse 16. When you fast. Fasting in the Bible is many things. It's usually to liberate the cause of the oppressed. But it starts with repentance that you have not been doing it. Withholding something so you will have to give to others. It started very often with carrying your clothes and pouring ashes on your head because you were ashamed of the behavior and you wanted to change it. Jesus taught exactly what Isaiah taught. You know why? Jesus was the Word of God incarnate. And Judaism is not off base in saying service to God should include charity, prayer, and fasting. It should be defined by how about this verse? I promise we're going to close soon, but look, we're already going to feed you. You don't have to drive anywhere. Would that buy me two minutes, Kate? Two minutes if you don't have to drive somewhere? Who would that give me two minutes? Anybody? Two, four, six, eight, nine, nine, nine. I saw at least 20 there. Uh, we won't take 20 minutes. You know why? I'm hungry. How about this? Verse... 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <laughs> this is the Lord's car. Good. Can I drive it? No. Whatever, Jesus said everything he has, he gave to me. If it's the Lord's, why can't I drive it? Because I just say that to make myself feel better about it. It's really mine. The Lord gave me this house. I'm using it for the Lord. Really, how have you used it for the Lord? Well, I've neatly decorated it. And I've shown my friends. Because what the Lord told us to do is to invite people who could not invite us back. To feed people who could not return the favor. Are we really using it for the Lord? Isn't that a good question, friends? We, how many of us believe the Word should govern our lives? That's most Protestants, right? The better question is, is the Word governing our lives? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? What a strange thing to say. Have you ever been around foreigners and their jokes didn't make sense to you? In Germany, the, the, the most atrocious cursing that you can give someone. I mean, like, the worst thing you've ever heard on an American TV said between two people who were cursing. Because I know you've never heard cursing anywhere else than on television. In Germany, that word is, you are a pig dog. I would say it that friends watch in Germany. So to them, it's a curse word. To us, it's, that's pretty funny, isn't it? You're a pig dog. <laughs> I think that's funny. But to a German, to say that in German, which I'm fighting hard not to say, it's kind of fun to hear, but it's a curse word to them. That's, that's major, major insult. <laughs> These words in Hebrew have very special meaning that don't come across in English. A good eye, the rabbis taught, was the eye who is on, who sees what God sees. It was characterized by one thing. Would you say God's eyes are righteous? Yes. To say righteous in Hebrew is to say charitable. Same word. So they said an eye that is on what God's eyes are on is the generous <laughs> eye. The person who is generous sees an opportunity for generosity is a good eye. That's called an ayen tovah. I, ayen tovah is good. If you were going to have a bad eye, a life full of darkness because you never saw what God wanted you to see, it'd be ayen raha, bad, a bad eye. <laughs> and he says, if your eyes are full of darkness, selfishness, lack of generosity, your whole life's going to be that way. So tell me, do you really think those movie stars are happy? Do you really think that the $16 million mansion made them happy? No. Well, sure it did. That's why they trade in their wives every 18 months. That's why their cars last longer than their relationships. Because they're happy. What's the next verse? What comes right after the good eye and the bad eye? No man can serve two masters. What a strange thing. We're talking about eyeballs and then we start talking about uh, serving two masters. He's letting you know your whole, your whole life will be a battle between two masters. Either God's eyes will be your eyes, you'll be generous towards people, or your master will be your money and you cannot please God. If there's ever a message that Americans needed to hear, this has got to be it. How many of us have read Luke 12 and seen uh, about building bigger barns? Yeah. And it's just a story to us. Or you read about the rich young man that came and he, he, he said, all these commands I've kept since I was a boy and Jesus, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And we focus on why that cannot be speaking to us. You need to know something, friends. You may not be rich when compared to the person on your left or your right. God knows I'm not. Having said that, compared to every other nationality in the world, you are. So if God is looking at the world and not just, I don't know, the U.S. in the center of the map, who's the rich guy? Isn't that worth asking? How about Jesus' ministry? Luke 4 begins, 4.18. He's quoting Isaiah 61. And what does he say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to fat, lazy Americans. No. Spiritually apathetic people. No. No. 
He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. Then you go look and see what he lists next. You know what? It's all the things Isaiah mentioned. All the things Hosea mentioned. The ministry of Jesus is ministry to those who have need. And what do we do? We sit around and talk about how we could gain more. Luke 7, John the Baptist doubts Jesus, right? He's in jail. He sends somebody. You remember what Jesus said? Go back and tell him. The lame walk, the blind see. The good news is preached to the poor. The poor are rich in faith. When George Michael saying you've got to have faith, he wasn't talking about Jesus' kind of faith. And maybe when people say faith, they don't mean what Jesus meant. Maybe when they say they have faith, they mean, I kind of agree with that set of principles as long as you don't expect them in my life. But real faith, Matah, Hebrew, Pistis, and Greek, is the kind of belief that shows up in your daily life. A Jew would never believe that you had something if they could not see it. Paul said, Greeks look for wisdom and Jews see the sign. God designed the Jewish community to look for the fruit on the tree. I'm just curious. Is there enough there to identify us as anything other than selfish? I'll read you one last scripture and we close. Is that okay? Yeah. Thank you for not being incredibly enthusiastic about closing. That helps. <laughs> In James, let's do that. By the way, there is no word James in the Bible. There is no word James in the Hebrew language. There's no word James in the Greek language. In fact, in the 150 or so languages listed in Wikipedia, where you could look up James, the only time it ever sounded like James was in two countries. America and England. Everywhere else it was something like Yaakov or Jacobus. How did we get from Yaakov, Hebrew, Jacobus, Greek, to James? Oh, that's right. There was a king named James who authorized the Bible to be translated into English. And in his honor, named a book after himself. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that cute? Yeah. I know, I know. Some folks are King James only Bibles. What you need to know is the word James is never in the Bible. That'll help you. Huh? Yaakov. Yaakov. And he was the brother of? Except Mary never called Jesus Jesus. And her name wasn't Mary. It was Miriam and Yeshua. Did this thing sound foreign to us? Now, the better question is, should they be? Should they be? Let's just suppose that you're telling the story of George Washington. Okay? And he's going to chop down a cherry tree. Except you decide to change his name to Jorge Rivera. <laughs> and he's not chopping down a cherry tree. He decided to prune a mango tree. Does it make a difference? Yes. We have a way of taking everything that is godly and adapting it to whatever we would like it to be. Yeah. We have a way of forming God into our image 
rather than us being formed into God's image. You can see this in almost every culture. By the way, did you know that Buddha, Siddhartha, was from India, not from the from uh, Asia? I mean, India is in Asia, but I mean, not from the, they're all Oriental, not from the Far East. But when his teachings caught on to the Far East, they made him look like them. How many pictures have you seen of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes? The best-selling Christian movies of all time prior to the Passion of Christ all picture Jesus as a cracker-white Indo-European. But there were no Jews in that day that looked like that. Do you think maybe we would just like the gospel? I don't know, be more palatable to us? gospel's not supposed to be palatable any more than that unleavened bread was. You're supposed to have to work at it and conform yourself to it. We've made this a feel-good, easy religion that basically says you don't look deeply at me, I won't look deeply at you, we'll all believe the right thing and nobody will expect to see anything. We've engineered the gifts out of our churches. If we pray for the sick, it's at a distance. We don't do anything that the scripture says. And then we're disappointed when we don't get the results the scripture promises. Our word, not for you only, for you and for me, is repent. Let's change our whole direction. Let's reinvent what this should look like. We don't have to do things the way everybody else does, friends. That's a real benefit. We do not have to participate in dead, weak, powerless religion. We can change today. James tells us exactly how to change today. And the little girl, Annie Frank, told us how wonderful it is that nobody need to wait a single moment before improving the world. Look at James 1, 22, and let's talk about powerful religion. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That causes me to want to choke. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, He will be blessed in what he believes. He'll be blessed in what he does. Did you see that the perfect law gives freedom? When you know what God has said for you to do, the perfect law, you're free from worry. You're free from fear. You're free from having to fret about what you'll wear and what you'll eat and all of those things. Your concern has become pleasing your commanding officer. The law brings freedom because it shows you what you should be doing. And when you're doing it, you know you're doing it. If anyone considers himself religious, besides Americans, and yet does not keep a right tongue, or keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. <coughs> worthless religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. Pure means unmixed with any other matter. Faultless is obviously without blemish. 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Friends, there'll be no emotional altar call. No more difficult pictures to look at. There's simply the glaring truth that if we're honest with ourselves, we've been polluted by the world around us. And that we've waited far too long to do something about it. It has to start somewhere. I believe it could start today. You're going to face a choice because you're going to see somebody in need before the day is out. Before tomorrow, you'll see more than you can count. This is going to force you to have to hear from God. If you can't meet everybody's need in the world, then you're going to have to start with the ones that He wants you to meet. And I want to assure you, that answer is not no one's. It's not. That selfish living. The gospel starts in Jerusalem, moves to Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. The gospel starts in your heart, works through your life, your home, your family, and then the ends of the earth, one neighbor at a time. Who is my neighbor? Everybody you run into. The reality is we only think about this when we pull up under an interstate and somebody's got a hungry side. If that's where you have to start, start there. But if the whole world is in the devil's grip, we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom of God. It ought not be hard to find oppressed people if you have God's eyes. Amen. Stand your feet. Let's pray. If you're a visitor here, I want to tell you we don't usually preach for two hours, but I can't promise it won't happen again. Wouldn't want to. We might shoot for three next time. I'm not real sure. The words that we speak are harsh sometimes. I know that. We really have to decide somewhere inside what it is we need, though. Do we need one more pat on the back that tells us we're wonderful? Do you come to church to have your self-esteem built? Or do you come to find out where the kingdom is? Because every time the kingdom was preached in the Bible, every single time it began with the word repent. Our ways are not God's ways, and we have to reform them and get in God's ways. One reason we often do not do altar calls, but many times we do, is because I'm not looking for the shallow emotional commitment. I'm looking for the people out there that this message stirred in and you can't sleep tonight. The ones that a week later, you're still wrestling with how to carry it out. You're the ones that God can use. The rest is just seed hitting the hard soil. Claiming to be a fruitful field the whole time being a barren path. God has never needed the masses. He's needed the handful that would be willing and obedient. And he will embarrass the masses. Because with a remnant, he'll change the world. The whole Amen. world. <laughs> Could y'all join hands with the people around you? Paul said greet each other with a holy kiss. We're going to stop short on that. <laughs> when I do something that's wrong in a foreign country, usually the interpreter goes, culture, culture. <laughs> I hugged a woman in India, full frontal bear hug like Americans do. Yeah, that was an invitation to marital activities. And I didn't realize it. <laughs> culture, culture. If I've offended you in some way. Realize not everything I do is God's way.
We have some cultural gaps between him and me. But I'm trying. I'm learning. And if I said something to you that pricked your heart, rather than be upset with me, ask one question. Did your heart need to be pricked? And what are you going to do about it? Amen. Amen. Mighty God, Lord, my desire, my heart's desire, is that each of us would love you, lock arms in battle, and support one another as we dare to trust you. You've never given us a reason to doubt you, Lord. And yet our lives have been full of doubts and fears while we project confidence everywhere we go. Lord, I'm asking that your spirit would rise up in us to live out your faith in a radical way that your prophets taught it. Lord, we are convinced that there is no problem with you. If there's a problem, it lies with us. We ask that by your spirit you would move upon this group. Lord, we say here we are, use us. Start with our lives, Lord, and teach us how to move outward. We may be dull and difficult to teach, but Lord, we're willing to learn to persevere. In the name of Yeshua, God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's go eat.